Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We're a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. All right, amen. Good morning, church. All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to James chapter 1. We're going to continue through a series that we started last week called Responding to God. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, our new youth pastor is a stud. Last, year, last week, he played uh, the cajon. This week, he played bass. Next week, he's leading worship. So, uh, man, he's just a man of many talents. Jonathan, we're glad to have you. And, um, and then the smartest man in the room will be preaching next week, Chip Miller. So, uh, look forward to that. <laughs> uh, sorry, I won't say it anymore. So, uh, so I will be uh, on my way Thursday with a group of us going to Germany on a mission trip, so we do cover your prayers. Uh, uh, many of us uh, can't play baseball, but we're going to try to teach people how to play baseball, so that should be fun. Uh, but more importantly, we're looking for divine appointments to have conversations about Jesus. And so uh, if you'll pray in that direction for us, that as we interact with kids and adults and uh, as we go to encourage another, another sister church, that uh, we would have opportunities to, to just share the love of Christ with them. So uh, if you'd pray for us in that. Uh, responding to God. So in James, the half-brother of Jesus, he writes this letter. He's, he's actually uh, you know, the pastor of a church in Jerusalem. This is the early church. This is one of the earliest letters written in the New Testament. And so he's writing to these believers who are facing all kinds of persecution and difficulties, and he wants them to know a proper response. Now, this is the guy who grew up with the big brother Jesus, right? So that's got to be a rough household. Who do you think you are, Jesus? Uh, yes, I do, right? So that's got to be a hard growing up situation. But he's watched Jesus, and he didn't really believe that Jesus was the Messiah until after the resurrection. And when your brother rises from the grave, then you're pretty much like, okay, he was right. And so uh, then he began to follow him, and now he's leading a church. And so he's writing to them about what a right response looks like. Now, last week, we kind of opened this up, and we talked about a right response being faith. A right response, how we respond to God for who he is, his goodness, and his grace is faith. And so last week we talked about this, and he said, we said if our faith and worship is a response to who God is and what he has done for us in Christ, then our faith and worship is not dependent upon external circumstance, emotional capability, or the environmental comfort that we are in. So it has nothing to do with, with what we're going through. It has everything to do with, with what with what he has done for us and who he is. And so that is why we respond to God in faith. And we respond in a proper way of faith. Now James is going to continue, and he's going to continue with this idea that if God has our attention, then our proper response is right action. If, if Christ has your attention, if God has your attention through the love of Jesus Christ, then there is a response in that. Your life all of me, it's for you, right? This is, this is the songs that we sang this morning. I will follow you. All of these songs are pointed to if God has our attention, then we respond with right action. And so um, we do that because of who he is and what he has done for us. Now this week, um, one, it was a busy week. It, it really was. And one night before going to bed, I, I, I passed Eli in, you know, in the house and I said, Hey, Eli, tomorrow I want you to cut the grass. That's all I said. Right. Uh, I went to bed, I woke up, uh, got out of the house early before everybody else woke up, and uh, didn't get home until you know, way in the afternoon. Uh, it had been a long day. And, uh, now, now, have you ever told your kids to do something and they, and they didn't do it? Any, any parents? 
Uh, just a couple, just a handful, really, just a handful of us, really. All right, now, kids, have uh, your parents ever told you to do something and you didn't do it? Just a handful of them, too, really. I mean, most of us are pretty good, pretty good, right? Well, can I tell you, I drove into the driveway and the grass was cut. Man, I was, not only that, he weed-eated, okay? I mean, that's like bonus right there. If you get weed-eater, like, that's, that's extra. Now, my, my, I, was, I was pumped. I was like, oh, I forgot. I forgot I told him to cut the grass, so it was really good. Now, uh, if I had got home and the grass hadn't been cut, would my feelings for my son be any different? No. You know why? Because, because his performance doesn't, doesn't determine how I love him. Because I'm a father. Now, when we talk about responding to God, our father, in right action, here's the thing that we miss. We think that our right response earns God's love. No. He's given us his love through his son, Jesus Christ. Our response is just faith. It's just a right response of faith because we love God. And so we, we serve and we, we act out of his love, not for his love. Does that make sense? So as we talk about not just being a hearer of the word, but being a doer of the word, I want, I want to make sure up front that you realize that what we do is faith because of who God is and his goodness and his grace it has nothing to do with us and what we think or what we want to achieve it has everything to do with a response because he is worthy. So Hebrews 11.6 says this, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, it does not say uh, that by faith God loves you. No, it doesn't. It says, but it's impossible because faith, we, we are saved by grace through faith, right? There's this response that we have. Paul would say it this way in Galatians. He says in Galatians 3, 23 through 25. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, and we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So here's the basis. As we respond to God, a right action, because he has our attention, we respond as sons and daughters of a heavenly father. And we respond because he has our attention and he has our affection and we love him dearly. So everything that comes out of that is a response to who he is. Now, so I, I say all that because I wanted to kind of clear that up before we get into James uh, chapter one, starting in verse uh, 19. Yep. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one near you in the pew in ESV. I'm going to begin reading in verse 19 and go through the end of the chapter. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Go on to the next one. That he, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed for his doing. If anyone thinks 
He is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is, this is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We ask God that as we get into it this morning that you would give us direction, you would give us clarity, you would speak to us. Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit. We ask for your spirit to fall on us because it's through your spirit, God, that we are led into a right relationship with you. God, this morning, let us respond as people of faith, not just hearers of the word, but doers. In Christ's name, amen. First thing I want you to see is this, that we need to respond to God by receiving his word. Respond to God by receiving his word. It says, know this, my beloved brothers. It starts right there. You are believers. Your beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. You are sons and daughters. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. So right there he says, I want you to receive with meekness the implanted word. I want you to receive. You see, we're unable to respond in a right, with right faith without first receiving his word. Now, how would we know to respond to God rightly if we don't read his word, if we don't receive his word into our lives? We would, we would be lost. We wouldn't know how to respond. So therefore, receive with meekness the implanted word. And then verse 25, he says, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So you've got these two ideas, receive with meekness and look in, into, look intently into, which means to like get down on all fours and really study it, to really like follow, see what you can get out of it, or to, to soak it in, to really soak in God's word, to receive it. So my, my question is, how do you approach God's word? As you come in this morning, as, as we read scripture, what kind of attitude do you bring towards reading God's word? When you sit down and you have your quiet time or you're reading, what, how, do you, how do you do that? What, what's your approach to that? When you sit in a small group and as, as you begin to discuss, to discuss God's word, how do you approach it? Let me ask you, how do you receive it? Do you receive it with open arms? Do you stiff arm some things and, 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 and cling to some things and not other things? You see, to receive and to look into means to soak up like a sponge. I mean, really, to just soak it up. Now, I have this... This illustration, I have this, this sponge that's been soaking in water, right? It's been soaking in water, and I've got a little bit of water in this dish. And so what I want to do is I want to take this sponge, and I want to soak up the water that's in this one. Well, since the sponge has been soaking in this water all day, it's not able to soak up this water, right? Because it's full. It's fully saturated. So what must I do in order to get this water? Wring it out. So if I wring it out... I get all that water out of it, that I can stick it in here, and lo and behold, it soaks it all up. You're like, I didn't know it was going to be a science lesson. This is amazing. <laughs> Kids, learn something today. You can take a sponge, and you can clean things in your parents' house. They will love you for it. Yeah? Now, they'll love you anyways, okay? Let's just be honest, okay? But then, there, well, well, there's a little bit, but the illustration still holds, right? So, if I'm going to soak it up, I've got to first... Get some things out of it. So, when he says, I want you to receive God's word, I want you to look intently into God's word, he's saying, I want you to take God's word and I want you to soak it up. The indwelling word of God. But there's things 
that keep us from being able to do that. That we would first need to ring out of our life to be able to properly soak up God's word. So this is what James says. He's like, look, I'm going to give you some, some things here that you need to, to know. You need to have true repentance because true repentance rings out the worldliness in you so that you can absorb God's word. There's got to be repentance in your life where you see things that shouldn't be there that you say, I, I need to remove that so that I can then soak in more of God's word. So what, what makes us less absorbent? What do we need to wring out of our, our lives in repentance? So he says this, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. So I said, we are less absorbent when we approach God's word with a full of answers attitude. When we come to God's word and we think we know it all, maybe we've sat in church our entire life. Oh, I've heard that story. I know this. I know that. I went to seminary. I did this. I did that. I've studied. I've studied. I have a know-it-all attitude. And sometimes that keeps us from receiving God's word. Now, I am, I am a fixer. Anyone else in here a fixer? Now, I can't really fix anything. I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, you give me, like, tools and stuff, I'll just look at it, and, and there it is. But I'm, I'm a fixer. Now, if a problem arises, I go into management mode. I begin to, you know, okay, here's the plan. Here's the strategy. Here's who we need to talk to. This is what we need to do. Uh, the staff's laughing because they know it's true. So, I, like, I go into management mode, and we start trying to fix things. Uh, this summer, something happened. And uh, I'm not going to get into it, but I, I went into fix mode, okay? I went into fix mode, and I was talking to another pastor, and that pastor put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, Jeff, we should pray. And I thought, I haven't prayed. I haven't prayed yet. All I've done is try to fix it. Sometimes it's hard to receive God's word into your life because you're too busy having all the answers. Some of us in here, we, we think we know. We've, we've learned the word, right? We've studied. We've sat in the pews our whole life. We think we know, but sometimes we need to wring out what we think we know to absorb what God wants to do and tell us in, in, in our lives. So what makes us less absorbent is, is this. We are less absorbent when we approach God's word with a full of anger attitude. He goes on and says, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Slow to anger. Let me ask you, is there any anger or bitterness in your life right now? Some of us, if we're honest, we have, we have flatlined in our faith. We're not growing. Sure, we're coming to church and we're reading the Bible and we're, we're trying, right? I'm really trying. But we're, we're finding it difficult to soak in God's word. And it could be that we're harboring anger and bitterness and unforgiveness of something that's happened or someone who's wronged us, and it's keeping us from soaking in God's word, really looking intently into it. And so James would say, you need to wring that out. Hebrews 12, 15 says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. See, when we carry bitterness and unforgiveness in our lives, it causes us to fail to obtain the grace of God. It keeps us from being able to soak in God's word. And it destroys our worship, our proper response, and it destroys our witness, those who sit around us, because we harbor that. Are you angry right now? Maybe you should wring out anger with repentance. 
C, we are less absorbent when we approach God's word with a lifestyle full of inappropriate actions and attitudes. He goes on in verse 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. How much filthiness and rampant wickedness does he say to remove? It's, it's underlined there, I think. All. Good, thank you. All. You know, let me tell you why I think it's hard for us to absorb God's word sometimes. Because we've removed some. I remove some of it. But I don't want to remove this part because I like this sin. I, I don't think this is that bad. And, and maybe we're not absorbing because we're, we're compromising. We're choosing what sins to allow in our life and what sins to not allow in our life. And God says, look... James says, look, if you want to receive God's word, if you want to soak it up, there's things in your life that you need to get rid of. All filthiness and wickedness, things from your past that you know shouldn't be there, that you're hanging on to, repent. You see, some of us in here, we, we come in here this morning, we have compromised. We've allowed sin to creep into our life. We've accepted sin into our lives. And our spiritual growth has gone stagnant. Sure, we go to church. We go through the motions. We, we talk about our faith. But we're weak. We're failing. And, and you know, oftentimes we blame it on the church. We blame it on others. We, we say, you know what, it's so-and-so. If, if so-and-so wasn't there, if they hadn't done this to me, or maybe we blame it on the atmosphere of the church or, or you know, the consumeristic side of the church. Well, if the church had this or the church did this, you know, we say things like, I'm just not growing there anymore. It's just not the same. Uh, hear, me, hear me when I say this. Could it be that our lack of growth has more to do with the accepted sin that's in our life than it does the atmosphere of the church? Could it be that we're not growing because we refuse to repent of the sins that we've allowed in our life? James says, look, if you want to respond to God in faith, you have to receive his word. Receive it. Soak it up. And if you really want to soak up God's word in your life, then there's some things you've got to get rid of. You've got to wring those out of your life. Second, respond to God by reacting to his word, by reacting to it. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I like how David Platt said it. It's like, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer. And he says this, you have not really listened to the word if you have not obeyed the word. You haven't really listened to God's word. You haven't really soaked up God's word if you're not willing to obey God's word. Oh, you might have heard God's word. You might have learned God's word. You might have been taught God's word as you sit in Sunday school and had the little felt board going, right? You might have learned all that stuff and heard it, but you haven't really obeyed it. You haven't really applied it. Be, don't be just hearers of the word. Be doers. 
So let's go back to the same illustration. Let's say I didn't tell Eli to cut the grass the night before. Let's say that I woke up that morning and I wrote him a letter to cut the grass. I've done this before. Any other parents, you, you've laid out, you had to go to work, but you laid out a chores list. Like if you're going to be home all day, kids, you got to do something, right? And you have little boxes and they got to check it off. And that's, that's what we do at our house. But let's say I, I left him a, a letter. And I started off that letter and I was like, Eli, I just want to let you know you're my beloved son. I love you. I held you. I changed your diapers. I don't change other kids' diapers. I changed yours, okay? Talked about how much I love him and how I care for him. I said, son, I provided everything for you. You had a good night's rest. You had a, you had a roof over your head and shelter and a bed. And out there in the garage, I had provided for you a lawnmower. I have provided for you gas to go in that lawnmower. I've given you a weed eater and weed eater string. What more could you ask for? Not only that, son, I have demonstrated to you how to use the lawnmower. I have shown you, walk in my steps, follow my ways, see how to cut the grass, right? Let's say that I went through all of that. So I left that letter and I went to work and I came home and the grass wasn't cut. So I walk in, like, Eli, did you, did you get the letter? Yeah, Dad, that was the best letter. <laughs> that first part about how much you love me, I highlighted it, memorized it. I quoted it to my friends. Listen to what my dad said, right? I was, I was all about that letter. Dad, you're right. You have provided so much for me, and I'm so thankful. And, and you know what? I even took that idea of cut the grass, and I cross-referenced it with the Old Testament. And you know, they, they used to prune back things so that they would grow and be more fruitful. Dad, I don't think we should stop at cutting the grass or weed eating. I think we should trim the bushes. Well, you're right, son. We should trim the bushes, but did you cut the grass? No, no, I didn't. Um, there's some other guys in our neighborhood who cut grass, and I thought they might drive by and feel called. <laughs> thought they might feel called to cut the grass. That's their calling, not mine. Right? See, there's a difference between being a hearer of the word and a doer of the word. And a lot of us, we sit here, we love the letter. We love God's letter. We highlight the parts that we really love. Oh, listen to what my father said. This is the best. Did you do it? Did you obey? Were you a hearer only or were you a doer of God's word? See, those who have received God's word respond to God's word by rightly following God's word. Listening to God's word is not responding to God's word. This morning, we have a chance to listen. But will we, will we be doers you see, being a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word has two traps for believers. This is what James tells us. There's two traps if you're just a hearer. Number one, the self-deceiving trap. You can deceive yourself into believing that you're good. When you're a hearer of the word and you hear about how much the Father loves you and you hear about how you're welcomed in and how he's provided all these things for you, you think, man, I'm so good. I'm so good. But it doesn't mean that we're obedient. It doesn't mean that we follow through. Jesus says this in Matthew's Gospel, 7, chapter 7, 21 through 27. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, that's, that's a scary verse. He goes on, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. You see, saying something with your mouth is not the same as believing something in your heart. 
Saying something with your mouth is not the same as believing something in your heart. And when we believe, and when we confess, and when we have faith, faith works. There is action. There is right action in a response to God. Not just the things that we say. The second one is this. We can be self-deceiving or we can fall into the scripture-forgetting trap. He says it's like someone who looks at himself in the mirror and then immediately walks away and forgets what he looks like. Forget what the scripture says. Jesus continues in Matthew 7, verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against that house, it fell and great was the fall of it. At some point, we have to be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. A Christian responds to God by being a doer of the word and not just a hearer or a talker of the word. God is not looking for an audience of worshipers. He's looking for participants in worship. He's not looking for us to come and say, feed me, feed me, feed me. He's looking for those who will soak up God's word and go out and be used. He's looking for us to be used in, in, as instruments of worship in this world. He's calling us to that. It's the same thing he said to, the, to Israel in De- Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4-9. through nine. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your, home, of your house and on your gates. He's saying, look, you need to absorb God's word because you should love God. If he has your attention, you should be following him with right action. And it is your responsibility to build your house on that foundation of Jesus Christ. Let let there be no mistaking this. Parents, it is your God-given responsibility to build your house on the word of God. We do this by hearing absorbing and doing God's word in such a way that your children can't miss the truth of God's word. Parents, it's your God-given responsibility to build your house on the rock, on Jesus Christ. So are we settling for listening to God's word in our homes, in our lives? Or are we being diligent to absorb God's word into our hearts and into our homes? You see, if our spiritual life and our home is built on merely coming here once a week and listening to God's word and not obeying God's word, then our life and our homes will suffer damage. This is not enough. This, this is not enough to soak in God's word and be, and be doers. You see, our response to God, our response to God and your response to God today is not dependent on the performance of a church. It's not in how good the worship is. It's not in how great the pews are. It's not in how 
good I speak. It's not in how the lights are different colors. It's not in any of that stuff. It's not dependent upon the performance of the church. It's dependent upon your heart and whether or not your heart has been wrung out so that you can receive God's word. It's not dependent upon the church programs or what the church provides for specific age groups. That's not, that's not what determines whether or not you can respond in faith. It is dependent upon your ability to absorb God's word into your heart and respond accordingly. So, respond to God's word. React to God's word. Thirdly, respond to God with real religion. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish philosopher, said this, The human race in the course of time has taken the liberty of softening and softening Christianity until at last we have contrived to make it exactly the opposite of what it is in the New Testament. Wow. If I went around the room today and I asked you just, hey, can you describe what Christianity is? Can you tell me what the definition of Christianity is? Can you tell me the definition of Christianity? More than likely, we're going to all give different answers. Because we have picked up things here and there along the way, and we've said, oh, this is what it means to be a Christian. Oh, this is what it looks like to be a Christian. And a lot of that's going to be cultural. And so this is what Soren Kierkegaard is saying. He's saying, look, we've done, we've done a, a job of softening and softening and softening the call to follow Christ to where it doesn't even look like it did in the New Testament. And so when we go for a definition of what it looks like to be a true Christian, a true follower of Christ, we get it here. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, look, if you want to know what religion really is, this is it. Are you ready? True New Testament Christianity is marked by controlled speech. Controlled speech. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. One of the ways we can wring out something in our life that needs to be wrung out and church, this is it. Gossip and slander and malice. Talking about people that we don't need to talk about. You know, it's, it's a shame that the church is known for running its mouth. Isn't it? If we want to soak up God's word, we've got to be able to control and bridle our tongues. Not say the things, not talk the way the world talks. But be a witness in the way that we, we love one another how we care for one another. And, and the best way we can care for one another, number one, is in how we speak about one another. So what we've said over and over and over is that what comes out of your mouth reveals what's in your heart. If there's really been a heart change, if you've really absorbed God's word into your heart, you know how you're going to be able to tell? By what you're talking about. How you're speaking about others. How you're, how you're talking True New Testament Christianity is marked by passion and purity. A bridled tongue, passion and purity. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Marked by passion. A passion for those who need help. One, one pastor said this, it's to be helpful and to be holy. Try to be helpful and try to be holy. Now, when he writes this, when a, when a husband would, would pass away, there would be such a strain that was put on the wife and the kids. 
And sometimes there would be people who would come through and even take them into slavery. And so when he's saying, when you need to take care of the orphans and the widows, you need to take care of some who are vulnerable, who, who need to be protected. He said, church, this is your job. Your job is to take care of those who are, who are being attacked. It's your job to take care of those who, who need to be protected. He said, but you also need to remain unstained from the world. You need to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Don't keep one foot in the world and one foot in the church. He says, look, if you want to be marked as a New Testament church, these are the things you need to do. So I say, let's pray. Let's pray we're a church who responds to Christ with true faith. Let's pray that we, are, that we respond with more than listening, but we respond with doing. I say we pray this morning that we respond with bridled tongues, passion for the needy, and purity in life. That those things would be what set us apart, that make us different than the world. So, what needs to be wrung out of your life so you can receive and absorb God's word? Because if, if we're honest, we've all got something that needs to be wrung out of our life. And we can do it in repentance, or we can wait on God, who does things to his children, that puts them in a tight squeeze so that they will call out, God, I need you. I can feel that you're wringing out the things in my life that shouldn't be there, and I need you. So will you respond this morning? with not just being a hearer of the word, but a doer. Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Please subscribe to hear new sermons each week.